establishments of the night. You remember those? <laughs> and you used to arrive there, naturally you arrive there late, and you see a long line outside of this establishment of the night. And your biggest prayer was like you hoped that somebody that you knew was in the front of that line so that you could go up and they're going to give you that expedited entry, right? <laughs> or you also prayed that, you know what, I hope that I know somebody inside. And they're going to come outside and they're going to come and they're going to bring me in. And I'm going to whisk me in right to the front of the line. Now, sadly, this thing happened to me about a few weeks ago. Now, it wasn't the establishment of the night. <laughs> I went to the premiere of this, uh, this great uh, feature film by Netflix called When They See Us. Anybody heard of When They See Us? So this is a major series directed by Ava DuVernay. And it was about five young men who were falsely accused of a brutal crime. Now, there was this beautiful big premiere in Harlem at the Apollo Theater. And so naturally I was like, I gotta be there. And so me and my people, we went out to Harlem and when I came out to Harlem, and I looked at the Apollo Theater, you could have thought like Beyonce was, was, was there because like there was lines all around 125th, like Six Flags line. I'm just like, oh my God. Oh no, this, this can't be. So you know, you know like when Jesus went into like the wilderness and like the, the devil like spoke to him, you know, like there was this like enemy that spoke to me in that moment. And the enemy was kind of like, hey Lawrence, you know, you should probably email Ava. Email her. Twitter tag her. Maybe she's gonna come out and expedite you into the front of this line. <laughs> now, you know, naturally, I didn't listen to that voice. Yes, sir. So I listened to that voice, and then so I see myself on my phone. Like, I'm, I'm actually around the line. I'm sending the email. I'm looking there around the line, hoping that Ava would think about little old me and would send somebody outside, and people with Oprah and everybody inside that send little old me to bring us inside. Now, guess what happened about an hour later, y'all? Anybody have a guess? <laughs> no, we left to get good something. <laughs> now, the sad thing about this is that I don't really know Ava like that. Like, I know her, but I don't really, really know her. Yes, I sit on the board of a major film festival. Don't be, don't see me signs. I know this, you see this, this picture. Don't be fooled, right? I sit on the board of a major film festival she used to work at. We used to do some work together years ago. We exchanged some emails. I'm familiar. She may be able to point me out of a lineup or something like that. But I don't really know Ava like that. And part of the reason I don't really know her is because we've never really spoke and had direct conversations and interactions over the better part of the past 10 years. How can I really know Ava? So naturally, she wasn't going to respond when I sent her this nice little big old email saying, come help me. I'm outside of the line. But as funny as and as embarrassing as it is for me to share that story, this describes the relationship many of us have with God. We, we read about him, we, we sing about him, we have all these traditions rooted around God. But many of us can never say or don't say that we've ever really had a direct encounter with God. How many people, when we have conversations, you struggle with intimacy with God? hoping that you can hear from him. Does God ever care? Is he even thoughtful and active in my life? How many people consistently are wondering, man, God, I just yearn to know that what matters, what happens and what's happening in my life matters to you. Now the truth is, is that you could know a lot about God and not really have a real relationship with God. You could know a whole lot about God. You could study God. You don't even have to believe in Jesus to go and study God. And you don't even have to know a whole lot of it. You don't have to have a, even a real relationship with him. And that's the thing. 
In order for you to have a real relationship with God, you need to have a real encounter with God. In order for you to have a real relationship with God, you need to have real, regular encounters with God. And Jesus did not come and die for you to have a second-hand relationship with him. That's good. Now, the issue thing, anytime you bring up encounter in a church or anywhere, people get real nervous. <laughs> They're like, oh my gosh, they think you're, you're talking about ghosts or UFOs. And in a church context, it's even more extreme. They're thinking of like Allah burning bush or they're thinking like somebody in the church caught the Holy Spirit is going to fall out and pass out in front of the church. So people get really nervous, like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I don't know what encounter really means. And that's really not the, the, the call of encounter. The call of encounter is a little bit deeper. And yes, God may speak to people and may communicate and encounter people in that way, but for many of us, God doesn't really encounter us in that way. It's in the mundane. It's in the everyday moments that we have with him. Now, we can encounter God in the kind of the general ways, like, you know, you, you preach, you, you pray, you read the word of God, you, you have providential circumstances, you feel the Holy Spirit, you get godly counsel. But when we're defining encounter with God today, what we're actually talking about is a evidence of an experience with God where you see him working in, around, and for you in your life. An encounter with God is evidence of an experience, an experience of God working in, around, and for you in your life. Now, this could be an answered prayer where God has seemingly moved in some impossible circumstances. This could be just even miraculous recovery, healing, or experience that you didn't even think that God would even come through. This could be in a quiet, still moments, providential circumstance. That is the type of encounter with God that I'm talking about. Now, even when I even speak about this and even I sit with this, even for people who've gone to seminary, who've been walking with Jesus for the longest of time, we have major difficulties dealing with what this means. And a lot of it is because we're still dealing with the lingering effects of the enlightenment. And so we get suspicious anytime there is something that we cannot prove, something that seems a little bit amorphous. We can't put it in a book. We can't prove it. We can't track it. It is not empirical. So we struggle with that. But another way that we struggle with this, especially if you're newer to Christianity, if you're newer to the faith, sometimes you'll go in a church and you hear people say, God spoke to me. And they won't really actually explain what specifically that looks like for them. You're like, did he actually audibly speak to you? Did you hear it? And for so many years, I used to sit back and I'm like, I guess I'm not doing this Christian thing, right? Because I never heard God audibly come from the clouds and speak to me. And so for many of us, we struggle to even understand what encounter with God means. Because even in our language, we don't even know how to describe it. We don't. Now, in view of these challenges, there are many of you who are struggling with a major decision. And you're wondering, God, where do you stand in this? How are you meeting me in this? And you're wondering whether God is just disinterested and disengaged in your life. And for others of you who are just even still exploring the faith, it's not even motivating to, to think about being a Christian because it's not motivating to think of a God who's so far off and distant from your everyday life. Why would I want to be a part of a faith where I don't really hear from God, yet I'm supposed to obey him? I'm supposed to follow him and hear his voice. What does that really look like? And this is why encountering God is so important. Because if you don't have regular encounters with God, it's going to be difficult for you when you meet those ups and downs in life to hold on, to stand, to be able to manage those times when suffering, when discouragement when things that you don't understand that you can't put together happens. This is why you need to have an encounter with God. 
You need to be able to root yourself. You need to be able to know that what I say I believe is actually really real. Yeah. And this is just not a process and a set of practices I'm just going through because it makes me feel like I'm a good person. Now, I think more than anything, more, more of us, more, no matter where you're at, whether you are newer to Christianity or whether you've been walking in the faith, I think all of us desire to have a deeper experience of God. And we're starving for it. And Jesus knows that. Jesus, the bread of life, came so that he could satisfy that hunger for you. And we see the spirit of that even in our scripture today in John 9, 1 through 25. Now, if you read the book of John, a lot of times churches will use John when they're introducing people to Jesus because this is where, this is where Jesus was going through and this was kind of all these instances where Jesus was trying to help people believe. He was trying to show people he is who he says he is. So from John 3, when he ran, ran up on Nicodemus, or John 4, when you have the Samaritan woman, or John 5, when he is healing the invalid, or John 6, when he feeds the 5,000, Jesus uses miracles and direct encounters with people to help them believe. That's right. And that has never changed. He has not just shut that off, and then now you guys now have to fend for yourself and figure out how to believe. And Jesus, in his own words in John 4, 38, says this, he says, unless you people see signs and wonders, and he's talking to the religious leaders, the faithful, you will never believe. And that work continues all the way through our scriptures in 9, 1 to 25. And it's a bit long, but I'm going to read it. So when you have your Bibles out or you have your digital out, and if you have an Android, I'll spare you again. Please raise them up. When you have it, say amen. 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 All right. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground made some mud with, some mud with saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he said, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. I like that. <laughs> How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and watch. So I went and watched, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. I don't know, he said. Now they brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. The time when you're supposed to rest, you're not supposed to do any work. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe in that he had been blind. 
and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now that he can see? We know he is our son, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. And they said, give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. It's good. My hope for you today is that you see that in order to have a real relationship with God, you need to have regular encounters with God. Right. You need to have regular encounters with God. And in order to encounter God, you have to experience God's work in you. You have to experience God's work around you. And you have to experience God's work for you. In order to encounter God, you need to experience God's work in you, God's work around you, and God's work for you. So let's set the scene here. Now, right before chapter 9, we have Jesus having this heated exchange with the Pharisees. And they're going back because they do not believe his claims that he is the son of God. So he's going back and forth with them and they don't believe him. They start calling him demon-possessed. They start saying that he's a fraud to the extent that they were ready to give Jesus the type of stone massage that you don't pay for. It was written, go look at verse, four, verse 8 and 59. They're about to light, light him up. So naturally, Jesus is like, no, I have one mission here. My mission is to help people believe. So coincidentally, right after that interaction with the Pharisees, he encounters this blind man. This blind man could not see. And so it was common belief in that time that if you were blind or you had any disability at all, that it was because of sin. Now, Jesus discounts that immediately. And he says, no, no. In, in verse 3, he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus' goal was that through the healing of this man, that people would come to believe. That people would see through that miraculous encounter, Jesus was worth following. Now, let me be clear. What I'm not saying is that if you are a believer, if you believe in Jesus Christ, then God is going to heal you of all disease. Because there are a number of us in this room who have buried far too many people who sadly have succumbed to disease. But what I am saying is that if you have had an encounter with Jesus Christ, there'll be evidence of his work in you. That's right. There'll be evidence of his influence in you because Jesus didn't simply come to teach you. He came to transform you. Transform people, transform people. And Jesus wants all of us to experience that inside of us. Now, I, 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 what I'm about to say, I want you to follow what I'm saying really clearly. And please hear me out. Because what I'm about to say is, it's very challenging for people to hear because there are many people in the world, and maybe some in this room, who believe that they have a strong relationship with God, but they don't. And it's not because of anything that you have consciously done. 
But you have like, unintentionally been led to believe that having a relationship with God is through all the things that you do for Him, through going to church, through reading your devotionals, through praying, as opposed to through reflecting and being encountered by all the things that God has done for you. And I can say this because this was my story for most of my life. I grew up, I thought I was a Christian just because I grew up in a Christian household. We went to church, we prayed as a family, we did all the right things. I'm a Christian because my family's Christian. And so I define my relationship with God just because of all the things that I was doing. And it wasn't until I went, walked into the one of the darkest periods of my life where I lost my dream career, one of my best friends died in a car accident. All of these things were happening at the same time and I realized that the very relationship that I said I had was no anchor at all. And it wasn't until years later that I had this conversation with a man who happened to be a Christian gentleman. And he asked me to describe to him my journey to Christ. And I couldn't answer the question. I just always thought I was Christian. I couldn't give him an answer. But which, how did I come to encounter Christ and make the decision to give Jesus, make Jesus my Lord and Savior? I was at war inside of myself. I had all this pride. I was like, oh, man, I felt this shame. Like, maybe, just maybe, I may not have a relationship with God. Are you telling me after all these years, I've been faking it? Are you telling me that? And I wrestled even more. And, I, and my pride started to well up. I wanted to tell him about all those years that I went to, to church. All those books that I bought about Jesus. All of those things. But it couldn't change the fact that I, for myself, did not have an encounter or a series of encounters with God that led me to have a moment where I said, I need him. All I had was my traditions. All I had was my prayers. And you know, one of the best ways to keep somebody from pursuing something is to deceive them into thinking that they already have it. And I think for this generation, for this times, it's not going to be in the, oh, Jesus doesn't make sense. It's going to be in the biggest deception for this prideful. We have degrees, we have everything, we are smart. It's going to be your pride that at the end of the day, it's going to be like you never knew him. All you have is tradition. You didn't really have an encounter with God. And Jesus does not want to leave us on our own with that. Now, my story may not be your story, but what's true for many people is that you yearn to have a deeper experience of God. You yearn that God's activity in your life is purposeful, is tangible, is practical, that he has not left you on your own, that he regularly wants to build your faith so that you have a belief in him. Now, think about this. Just like in verse 3, wouldn't it make sense if the purpose, Jesus' mission through that man and through you is to display the works of God in you. Wouldn't he work in those areas of your life where only he himself could work? Wouldn't he only attack those areas? Wouldn't he encounter you in those areas where only he could work? And we all know those, our closest relationships and friendships are those people who know those deep, dark, challenging, vulnerable areas of our lives. So you cannot claim to know Jesus, yet not even expect for him to interact, to have a hand, to have any work or not be encountering you in those deep areas where only he could work. Yeah. Now, the good thing and the good news for all of us is that Jesus is always working. And in verse 4, we see in this story, he says this. He says, as long as it is day, you must do the works of him who sent me 
Night is coming when no one can work. And while I'm in this world, I am the light of the world. Now this should wake all of us up. This should comfort all of us to know that Jesus is always working. He's always trying to encounter us. Because for many of us, we think of the concept of an encounter with God as like going to the doctor's office. And going and waiting in the doctor's office, and you know you're waiting on the doctor to come because he's dealing with all the other patients. And then when you finally come in, you can tell him about all your crisis and needs, and then he goes off after he's done with you to deal with all the other patients until you have a crisis again. Do you really think that's the type of relationship that Jesus, that God, that the Holy Spirit within you wants you to have with him? That he would just push you off when he's done? Or do you think that God regularly wants you to encounter him to remind you that he is there? That you matter? That you are important to him? I think that's the type of relationship he wants to have with you. That's the type of encounter he wants to have with you. Because that's the type of deep connection you need. Now what's interesting is that what's powerful about the mud, sometimes we speed past this, what's powerful about the mud is that many commentators will say that this mud represented work. So Jesus intentionally did that. He knew that the Pharisees, the Pharisees were going to be upset. So he spit, made mud, and then he allowed this guy to be healed. So you even see in verse 16, it says, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. They cared more about the method than the man who he just healed. Could you imagine someone's healed from blindness and they're saying, so you did this on Saturday? <laughs> Could you imagine that? <laughs> they cared more about that. And clearly it was not about the method. He was talking about giving sight. And Jesus is so... He's so masterful. He used mud to give sight back to the blind. So clearly it wasn't about the method. Mm -hmm. He could have used spring water or essential. He didn't use that. He used mud, the dirtiest thing, with saliva. Because he said it's not about the method. It's about the man. Mm -hmm. It's about Jesus. He encountered Jesus Christ. And I'm giving you a foretaste of the healing I'm going to do to all of mankind through the work I'm doing today. That's just what he wanted to do. But we want to look at the Pharisees and be like, oh man, the Pharisees, man, how are they going to worry about the method? But so often, it's the same case with us. That's right. When we think about encountering God, we, we focus on the methods. But we rarely think about encountering the man. It sounds kooky. Why are people putting their hands up and crying? Why are they saying they feel the presence of God? Because the man will change it, not the methods. And God prefers an encounter and obedience over sacrifice and hypocrisy. He wants you because he recognizes that in order to have a real relationship with him, you need to have real, regular encounters with him. And he knows that those encounters will not only change you, it'll change the others around you. To encounter God, you have to experience his work around you. Now, every single individual, every single interaction, every single moment of your life matters to God. God who numbers the stars in the sky, the sand, the hairs on your head, who numbers your days, does not simply put in filling moments and filling people just so you can get to your 70s. Every single person matters. The master orchestrator, the one who holds all of creation together, is orchestrating every single moment, every single interaction of your life. Everything. He's always at work. And this also means that everything that we do matters. 
Because everything that we do, it does not just impact us, it impacts the people around us. And we may not always see who sees us, but people see us. People respond to us. What we do actually matters. Now think about this. We have this blind man who was once alienated from, alienated from society, who was a beggar on the side of the road. No one noticed. One day gets sight back and everybody notices. Think about it. In verse 8 he says, His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claim that he was. No, he only looks like him. Now I love reading the scripture because it reminds me of the early 1990s commercials, the Maybelline commercials. And always that's the commercial where this woman puts on some lipstick and then she goes out into the street and everybody's looking at her like, oh, oh my God, just this big commotion. And all the commercial always ends. And if you know this commercial, it says, maybe she was born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. Yeah. You remember that? Am I alone? I remember. So, so every time I read the scripture, I can just imagine this blind man coming out, like just walking out and everybody's like, oh, 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 oh. It's all this commotion. This man who no one noticed Notice. Even if there's a blind man and has sight, you wouldn't immediately notice this person. <laughs> but I don't think that it was only, not only like, it wasn't incidental. It was instructive. It was instructive to say that what happens inside of us affects the people around us. And in this case, and in this story, all the way through to verse 25, you see it affects his neighbors. It affects his family. It affects the city. The whole city was in commotion because of what happened to him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if we think about it, it's not only instructive in that way, it's also instructive if we put ourselves in the position of the blind man. Because think about this, God encountered him and had healed them, but do you, he never saw God. He never saw Jesus Christ while this was happening. Wow. But he was at work. That's right. So think about it for our lives. We may not see him, but it does not mean that he's not at work. That's good. It does not mean that he's not moving in our lives. I love this scripture. Hebrews 13 and 2, it says, do, forget, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. What does that mean for you? What that means for you is that you can't take people off. You can't take interactions off. From the cashier to the co-worker, God can be and often is involved in it. He's always at work. He's always moving. He's always looking to encounter us. Now, not too long ago, there was this viral post, this viral post in the Christian women's community by this lady named Lindsay Davis. And she started to take this class called Developing Intimacy with God. And so she shared a long post about her experience after have taking the first session of this class. And as she was learning that in encountering God, she has to imagine that God is with her through all of the interactions she has, from sitting down in the morning to pray and thinking that Jesus is right there with her, to driving her car and thinking Jesus is right there with her, to having a meal and Jesus is right there having a meal with her. And so she prayed and then she said she felt like God was saying something right back to her. She says this, which I love. She says, Jesus was saying to me, God was saying to me, and I am a part of your spiritual and unspiritual life. I've never left you or forsaken you, but you keep trying to strive into my presence when I've been sitting next to you this whole time. How many of us have tried to strive into God's presence and we segment him and isolate him from the everyday interactions of our life because those are not spiritual. God doesn't show up in that. How many of us? And God is not only working in us, he's working around us. And too often we miss these encounters, we don't expect to see him there 
We don't expect to see him in those interactions. Now what I love about this is that the blind man couldn't actually answer the Pharisees' questions. They were asking him all these questions. He said he was a prophet, which is kind of partially true. He's prophet, priest, and king. But he was like, who is this man? Where is he from? And the, 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 the blind man was just like, I, I, I don't even know what he's doing. All I know, That's right. what she said in verse 25, is that whether he, he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. He didn't know all the exegesis of John 9. He didn't know the Greek about Jesus. He didn't know where he was from. He didn't know he was from Bethlehem. He didn't know all the facts about Jesus, but he knew an encounter he had with Jesus. And that made him willing to stand in front of the Pharisees who would exclude him from the synagogue, exclude him and go back to the place that he was. And he says, I, one thing I do, I don't know all of this. I was blind. And now I see. That's right. But Jesus speaks to this in his own words earlier in John 5, 39. He says, he said this to the religious leaders who were so proud because they pray, they, they go to church every day, and they knew the scriptures backwards and forwards. And he says this, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. As pastors, as brothers and sisters in the faith, we have to confess our failure here. Because so often we have equipped people who may know, who may know, to read the scriptures. But so often they are so weak and in, unable to discern the regular encounters with God in their life. If you ask people, not everybody will be able to give you their testimony. Then what are you standing on? If you can't think back to a moment that said, no, Jesus is real, then you're not standing on anything. You don't study the scriptures diligently. Yet yeah, I'm right here, yet you do not come to me. Jesus is saying that to you. He's saying that to me. Come to me. Encounter me. I'm here. And I love this, because even in 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says this, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. What's your reason? What's your reason? Mm -hmm. Why do you have hope? Yeah. What was that encounter? If you can't answer that question, Maybe, just maybe, God today is inviting you to seek him, to experience him. Because here's the thing. If you don't have those encounters, when life punches you in the face, when you're suffering, when you feel like you do not hear from God, yes, somebody may come to you with mud, but this time they're going to be dragging you through it. It will not be to cleanse you. It will not be to give you peace. It will give you anxiety. Because you don't know whether or not God is real. And God wants you to hold on, even in those moments. Because God wants you to take people with you. Because through your testimony, through your encounter, he knows that you will change the lives of other people. That through your encounter, through you sharing your testimony with them, in that moment they will have an encounter with God through you. Because God knows that you can't have a real relationship with him unless you have regular encounters with him.
And you all here are part of those encounters for others. To encounter God, you have to experience God's work for you. Something happened to that blind man as he was being accosted by the Pharisees. He started to notice something about that man, Jesus. And he started to understand something about that perfect God. After they accused Jesus of being a sinner and they accused this man of not knowing where he came from, the blind man further on in the scripture in verse 30 says this. Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of the opening of the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He was healed simply because Jesus chose to encounter him. Not because of anything he did. Not because he saw him out. Nothing he did resulted in his healing. He just listened, he went, and he watched. But it was because of the work of Jesus that this sinner, that this blind man, was healed. And in that moment, in the face of expulsion, in the face of ridicule, in the face of being thrown out like he was before, he chose to stand. He chose to be willing to follow this man Jesus. Because this man Jesus, who came from the perfect God, the Father, chose to encounter a man like him. A man like you. A woman like you. A man like me. People like us. And he did this. And we cannot forget that. We cannot which is why one of the ways that we can tangibly respond to this is by intentionally cataloging and archiving those moments, those encounters in our life when God has answered our prayers and putting them in a journal, putting them in a frame, put them somewhere so that when you forget and you will forget, you remember that God is real. I remember this was from a great feature film, War Room. And there was this lady named Miss Clara played by Karen Abercrombie. And she took this discouraged, bewildered woman, Elizabeth Jordan, played by Priscilla Shire, and showed her her, her answered prayer for him. And in that moment, she was reminded that God does encounter us, that God is real, that he is worth following. Because it's easy for, to forget. And the truth is, even if we do everything right, Hear me, I am not saying that our prayers, that our assembly to worship God, that us hearing from the Holy Spirit, from us discerning providential circumstances, from us listening to Godly counsel, I'm not saying that that is not encountering God. What I'm saying is that God wants more. God wants you to expect that he's going to come see you. And the reality is that even if we do our best with this, even if we do our best, we're often still going to be blinded into containing God into our books, into our traditions, into our prayers, into our service. But thank God the good news is that not even death right. could contain Jesus. 
Because of us, he pursued us. Because we were someone that he held dear. The good news is that that news wasn't simply something that was to be read, that came down from heavenly scrolls from heaven. It was not something to be read. It came in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, who came to that cross, died, and bled. So that people like you and me could not only see him, but to be with him forever. Man, that good news, that good news that we all come here and that we all worship around. That man, Jesus, who spit so that that blind man could one day see because of his great love for us. He went to that cross and was spit on, beaten, and killed so that the spiritually blind, people like you and me, can not only see, but enjoy his presence forever. Now that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing grace. How sweet the sound good. that saved a wretch like we. We once were lost, but now we're found. Was blind, but now we see. Do you see him? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us sight to see you, to experience you, to enjoy you. Thank you that through the Holy Spirit you left us with your presence. But thank you, God, that through your amazing grace and through the work that you have done to pursue us, to encounter us, that all of us can receive the gift of eternal life, not by what we will do for you, but what you have done for us through your son. Let this sit in our hearts. Let us experience you and encounter you in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.